Hello, listeners. Before you dive into this bonus episode, a bit of a disclaimer. Alex had to go out of town on a business trip, and we had to improvise long-distance recording in a way we hadn't done before. So, you'll notice that the audio quality isn't up to our usual standards. The content, however, totally is. Even though Alex was being a complete diva about his schedule and forced us to record at 1 in the morning. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this latest installment of The Summer of Travolta, and we promise we'll get a better microphone for future road trips. On with the show! Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash contrarianprime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O V N I O. Now, time for the podcast. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of The Contrarians. My name is Alex. I'm joined by Julio, but not typically how I'm joined by Julio. We are on remote location. It is almost one in the morning. I am in Wichita Falls, Texas on a work assignment, and Julio is back in Austin. We are here to record a bonus episode. If I sound tired, it's because I am, but Julio, I'm going to trek through this. I think that uh, any other movie, maybe we wouldn't be able to do it, but but this one, I think, uh, will get us through (laughs) Well, also because, like, fucking 80% of this movie is just music. We can just easily breeze through it, so that's the that's the trick. And then there's uh, a song, and then there's another song. Dude, fucking the last 30 minutes of the movie is one song. <laughs> but but a great song, according to uh, oh, dude, reports yeah. from anyone. Um, so, we are here to continue this, uh, the summer of Travolta. For our first bonus episode in this uh, walk down the path of John Travolta, we are here to visit Hairspray, which upsettingly is from uh, almost 12 years ago, from 2007, uh, a remake of a 1988 John Waters film. There's a musical adapted uh, after the same film as well, but 91% a towering rating on Rotten Tomato. Higher than I expected when, when we were doing the research. Hard same. I did not expect it to be that high. Yep. it's uh, That's Travolta's career for you. Full of surprises. Every time that you think that you got him pegged, he uh, puts on a female fat suit. 30 pounds, as well as uh, four hours worth of facial prosthetics. So, you know, plenty of people like this movie. Craftsmanship. Uh, so let's uh, let's go with the... With the fresh tomatoes, uh, starting with John Moore from the Denver Post, who says, Hairspray is an infectious aerosol comedy with nearly every hair in place. Then Alan Jones from Radio Times says, If any movie musical could threaten the standing of retro favorite Grease, it's this one. Okay. <laughs> I see you nod cautiously. Uh, Heather Huntington from ReelsChannel.com uh, finally starts talking about the man of the hour and says, I will confess that Travolta totally turned me around. A mountain of a woman in his female fat suit, he commits 150% to the role. That's fair. Uh, Prairie Miller from Newsblaze says, Travolta as bosomy mom Edna in perky fat suit with flab infatuated spouse Walken, never far behind, pretty much steals a show from everybody else as he impressively shakes his bountiful booty across the dance floor. That was too much. <laughs> Come on, Prairie. Uh, John G. Puccio from Movie Metropolis says, How can you not like a movie in which John Travolta and Christopher Walken sing a love song to each other? And you believe it. This is fair. 
uh, Mike Sage from Petersboro this week says, unlike Eddie Murphy's explosively and funny attempts at fat and female, John Travolta makes his character absolutely endearing and charming by playing it relatively low-key. Uncalled for jab at Eddie Murphy. <laughs> I uh, like how they worked it in, though. Uh, and finally, Kyle Smith from KyleSmithOnline.com says, Fellas, there are going to be a lot of little hotties at this movie. Here's an ideal place to catch them off-duty, their hair up in scrunchies. No, it won't turn you gay. All right. <laughs> the hell, Kyle Smith? What's going on with you? Uh, but, yeah, uh, there's, there's obviously... Their quotes range from like you know praising Travolta to praising Nikki Blonsky to praising different aspects, but I, I try to focus on the Travolta one since it, it is the summer of Travolta. Uh, Very fair. Yeah. All right. So let's head into Contrarian's Corner hashtag CC, which is the part of the show where we just rage against the Rotten Tomato score. In this case, it's ninety-one percent, so it's fresh, which means that we're going to rage against the positive reviews and actually talk about this as if it was a bad movie. If you want to know how we really feel about it, just wait for the second half of the show, which is real talk. Take us away, Alex Mattis. There we go. The year is 1962. Uh, segregation is in full effect as the first thing we see in the movie is a newspaper explaining that black people are barred from certain events. Uh, the movie begins us with a musical number called Good Morning Baltimore, which pretty much just paints the city of Baltimore as flashers and drunks. We do get an awesome cameo from John Waters. Outside of that, people that miss the school bus apparently have to take a garbage <laughs> truck to get to school. But this is this is the Baltimore of... This is a whimsical Baltimore. I mean, this is not the Baltimore of The Wire or, or even Serial, right? I mean, I... It just looked like such a good time, even among the flashers and the rats and, and even the racism, uh, which I think it's a little irresponsible to paint this kind of stuff uh, in such a, a lighthearted manner. Our main character is the uh, previously mentioned Nikki Blonsky. Uh, she portrays uh, Tracy Turnblatt. She is our main character. She's a big girl with big hair. She does have her best friend, uh, Penny, who is played by Amanda Bynes, which... I think this is the last time we really saw Amanda Bynes in any sort of... Uh, uh, it's easy to forget ECA, but don't forget ECA. Did you watch ECA? The one... I did. I, I liked ECA. It's, oh, she's the bad guy in ECA. Right, she's the, the hardcore religious, uh, which is funny. I mean, it would be... Uh, it's almost as if in that movie she becomes her mother's daughter. Her mother being uh, Allison Janney in this movie. Allison Janney, who has, like, uh, fucking top billing but is only in the movie for like four minutes and like three of those minutes she's not speaking she's just reacting in horror at all the debauchery she's around just her just wild wildly racist <laughs> just throwing under her hands up anytime she sees anyone of color well she's she's uh, a great actor she needs three minutes tops to tell you how racist she is and then well she was on the she's been on the podcast before for juno so we know what to expect when we get allison jane right uh, but Tracy and Penny, their obsession is the Corny Collins show, which comes on every day at four after school, which the incomparable James Marsden, which have, has, has James Marsden been on the podcast yet? I, I don't think so. He's always in our hearts, but I think this is the first time that we've seen him in a, in an actual movie that we've covered. Uh, but it helps, it helps to set the tone of the movie because they talk about the nice white kids that dance on that show. And then once a month they have their Negro day, as they say in the film. Which, again, segregation's in full effect here, but it becomes clear off the bat that, you know, change is desired. I, I love James Marsden, but I, I did find it off-putting just how... I, I just I just kept thinking, who do you think he is? <laughs> he's, he's out there on the big TV dancing, and just basically he's like the king of, of racial purity. It, I The movie tries to give him an arc where... You know, he eventually becomes this personality that embraces uh, segregation, uh, or rather, that embraces inclusion. Right by the end of the movie, uh, he's using his power to to merge the black dancers with the white dancers. Uh, but I think that through the entire movie, he's just a businessman. He's a, a celebrity, a personality. So he's just doing whatever is popular at the time. So right now we see him, and he's hanging out with the white kids. Uh, but then when it becomes 
profitable uh, uh, to him, he'll just hang out with the black kids and Queen Latifah. Well, as our previous uh, Contrarians guest, Eddie, and I have proven uh, definitively, is that by the standard of Nicholas Sparks movies, the only thing that can disrupt love is Acts of God and James Marsden. I believe that the only things that can solve racism are time and James Marsden. What you're saying is James Marsden needs to needs to run for office. I'm saying that he is a greater being than he knows. The, he we need him for more than he serves currently. I think that that's why he was written out of uh, the X Men franchise. It was just he was wasting his talent. No time to play superhero. He was overshadowing Hugh Jackman. They were like, all right. We're not going to be able to make this guy a thing unless if you're here. You need to get the fuck out of here right away. We meet the man of the hour who is too sweet to be sour. John Travolta is Edna Turnblatt. He is in drag. He is owning this role as Edna. And he's married to Christopher Walken, of all people, who plays Wilbur Turnblatt. This is just like... A, you can't believe what's happening. In so many eyes. wires crossed. Just, it, it, I mean, if you watch the movie out of context, just on its own, yeah, sure, it's it's pretty impressive. But then the fact that we're just coming out of Pulp Fiction, uh, you know, which was Travolta's rebirth, but also had that that standout scene uh, with Christopher Walken delivering that monologue, and now suddenly it's just that guy married to the female version of Vincent Vega, in a way. And this is, I mean, it's Travolta in drag, but he's playing a woman. And that's really, yes. I mean, I love Travolta, and I know that you know his talent is unparalleled. But couldn't they cast a woman? It's it's a little like just greedy of him. Very easily, yeah. it is a very it's it's a gimmick. It's a a thing to rest your shoulder on. It's a Nutty Professor type. Situation. Right, but it's like even Nutty Professor, I understood. You, that Eddie Murphy needed the comeback. This is Travolta post comeback. He can do whatever he wants. So what does he do? He takes a role from a woman that would probably need it more than he did this. This is just him fucking around in a fat suit. But there were women out there that could have just gotten their their big break by playing uh, Nicky Blonsky's mom here. That being said, we still do have Christopher Walken as Wilbur Turnblad. Turn but, you know, Christopher Walken is one of the most dry... Um, he's he's not a comedy guy, but what do they use him for? Is the guy who runs a practical joke shop? It's like they don't know who the fuck they're casting. Did, did you did you get the feeling that he was just constantly amused by everything that was happening, but not not because he was acting, but just more or less in like he never read the script, so every new development he was just like ah. Oh. I believe that he's that good that he just kind of. He improved everything he said. And it still, well, I mean, it's not like he says much, right? He walks in. He acts amused. He he says things that, you know, like John Travolta early on here, he sets him up, tells him, you need to discourage uh, Tracy from auditioning for the Corny Collins show. And then Christopher Walken goes and does the exact opposite. And he's like, you should follow your dreams. <laughs> it's almost like he well, wandered off from a different movie. You know Christopher Walken's scene with Michelle Pfeiffer in the comedy shop later on? That it's verbatim their scene from Batman Returns. Yeah, just it's the exact same dialogue, just delivered with different, you know. Emphasis. Yeah, I mean they they they've aged a little bit, so of course it, it, when you add age to anything, it it it, it all changes uh, drastically. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. We'll get to that in real talk. <laughs> my God. But speaking of Michelle Pfeiffer, our uh, two main female antagonists. Michelle Pfeiffer plays Velma Von Tussle. Her daughter, played by Brittany Snow, Amber Von Tussle. Velma runs the local uh, television station, which is WYZT. Uh, she controls the uh, Corny Collins show, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, the star of the Corny Collins show, of course, outside of Corny Collins, is Link, who's played by Zac Efron, who at this point in time... He was he was expanding. He would have been coming off. Yeah, his, I think he was expanding his range from playing a teenage heartthrob in from just yeah, a Disney High guy. School Musical to playing a teenage heartthrob in Hairspray. Velma Von Tussle, uh, Catwoman, wants her daughter to be featured most of all. Who is played by Brittany Snow? Who this was one of the bigger roles that Brittany Snow had at the time, and uh, definitely, I mean, it fit. People wanted to make Britney Snow happen. Michelle Pfeiffer wanted to make Britney Snow happen. Unfortunately, it didn't really work out. Yeah, that way. but also it's 
I mean, it's very easy to fall into that narrative where, oh, she's evil because she doesn't want uh, black people in the show and she doesn't want uh, Tracy in the show and because she wants her daughter to be featured more and blah, blah, blah. But really, when you look at the way the show is run, when you look at the big picture in the movie, she is probably the most qualified person to make those decisions, right? Uh, she... She actually yes. she has a resume that supports her position there. I don't know. There's not a single musical number that tells you what uh, James Marsden's uh, qualifications are to pick who dances, who doesn't dance, and whatever. But uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was Miss Krabby Crab or something. Miss, you know, she has a title. She was the. I have it here somewhere. She was the original um... Catwoman. Teen, <laughs> she was the original Catwoman. She was the original Team Hairspray or uh, Teenage Hairspray. Oh, there you excuse go. me. And the movie goes out of its way to slut shame her for yeah, all of it, that. but but really she is uh, she's really the businesswoman there. She is the brains of the operation. And uh, but the movie not only decides to do away uh, with a potential role that could be filled by a female. Uh, you know, when they cast Travolta as Edna, but then they cast Michelle Pfeiffer in a, and then paint her as, an, as a villain when really she's just an accomplished professional. At the same time, her character is horribly racist and sizist. But, and, you know, it was the 60s. Um, <laughs> fair enough. But she is pushing her daughter to probably be something she doesn't want to be. At the same time, she's Catwoman, so who cares? I think that that's how you develop character for your children. You push them, you push them until they push back. And that's when they realize who they are. It puts them into their place. Um, our main character, Nikki Blonsky, uh, Tracy, learns pretty quickly that due to the time period, a lot of the black ch- uh, kids are put into detention. Dude. The children of color, things of that nature. She finds out that all of the good dance moves and all of the good rhythm are hidden. Okay, so how racist was that? <laughs> that's not the 60s. That's the movie being racist. That is. It's them pointing out something of that they don't really need to. I understand it was that way at that point in time, but, you know, I understand we need consistent reminders of situations like that, but it was one of those things where she opens the, the classroom door to detention and it's just all all black children and that's it's black children but also it's just black children grinding against each other (laughs) it's like that scene in the the matrix reloaded when they go to the to the orgy in uh zion it's it's debauchery again it's crazy and then she just a horribly a horribly painted picture i appreciate what it does to go to the lengths in terms of making us aware of what things were at that time but by the same token, uh, a bit much. And then, and then she, uh, so she goes in to dance with them, and then we get the first instance of many of cultural appropriation, where. <laughs> oh, dude, she, again, like I said, uh, with Pulp Fiction, one of the only things a white man was ever cool at was John Travolta dancing in that movie. Very rare a white person ever looks cool dancing. And just right away in this movie, we're just stealing things. Right away. Anything we can to make a white person look cool, we're just going to steal yeah, it. Yeah, she, uh, it's, it's really, it's really awkward to see her just basically dancing the way that they do and, and then kind of like owning it. She tries to kind of give him credit, but at the same time, you can tell that she's just, she's just more of, you know, this is Whitey taking over, uh, before long, she starts bringing Penny over to detention, and you know the gentrification starts of the of the whole detention classroom. <laughs> Queen Latifah then brings up at one point, we get one more white person. Yep. It's going to be a suburb. It is. This whole movie is a tale of cultural appropriation. Uh, but for some reason, Link Zach Efron's character is just hanging out uh, around the bathroom and comes around the corner and sees Nikki Blonsky bending uh, over, dancing. Re- yeah, rather provocatively. My notes say Efron I wrote wants that Efron's clearly an ass and, man. Well, God bless him. I, I'm the same way. But Tracy has very low self-value. She, as soon as he pays any attention to her, she just thinks that, you know, she's, she values herself so little that she begins a song, I Can Hear the Bells, 
It's this type of thing of the first guy that pays attention to her. She she's yeah, she, about. she's she's and also this stereotype of of a protagonist that we've had before on the show. This sort of dreamer that has zero actual contact with reality, completely disassociated, and yet everything works out for them against all odds. It's just that that story of. Uh, Oh, well, no matter. Just follow your dreams and everything's going to come out okay. Uh, we saw it in that thing you do. And we've seen it in, like Empire Records. It, it's not realistic. It sends a, a negative, poisonous message to young people everywhere. And here it is again. Yeah. And again, I, I don't understand why. I think she's fucking gorgeous. But uh, as soon as, you know, her Prince Charming pays attention to her, she thinks marriage, kids, all that's coming up next. Not exactly the way the world works, but that's what she thinks is coming to her. A dancer drops out of the Courtney Collins show and is leaves the door open for a new dancer. Obviously, Tracy wants that spot. Um, things are a lot different back then. We don't have open casting calls. Uh, she goes uh, to a Courtney Collins dance rally, and this is where cultural appropriation takes hold. Because Seaweed, uh, one of our main black characters, explains that, you know, I can't dance that way, otherwise it'll create problems. So he lends his dance to Tracy. Through this, Cyclops is yeah, very Yeah, he's, he's such a dork. I, I really... I, again, this movie is lucky that they cast James Marsden. And at the same time, the downside to that is that we just keep seeing James Marsden be wasted in all these really dorky sequences where he's dancing with a big smile. And, I don't know, hashtag not my Cyclops. He... You know, he has better things to do than be in this movie. Uh, but, yeah, the 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 stolen dance works, I guess. Well, first, she completely uh, underwhelms Michelle Pfeiffer. But then, because she's a woman and Marsden is a man, Marsden completely overturns her decision not to cast Tracy and then gets her on the show anyway and immediately she's on television this is the other thing that happens right here is there's not even like a day delay they just cast her during lunch period and she's on television by the end of the the day because uh amanda Bynes runs back to travolta and christopher walken and says hey let's turn on the tv and the daughter is on tv nikki blonsky is right there with blonde bangs approximately two and a half hours after her audition they've already rewritten the opening song the television program, the production, all of it. The one plus of this, we do have the only shot, in my knowledge, of uh, television history, film history, where Amanda Bynes, John Travolta, and Christopher Walken are all dancing in one take. God bless. Well, you know, every every movie, no matter how bad, has, has a silver lining. So uh, I hadn't even thought about that. I just kept thinking that Amanda Bynes, she basically, she would grow up to be Bruce Willis's girlfriend in Pulp Fiction, because she, she is not the brightest, <laughs> and and as much as her mom shelters her in this movie, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me that she ends up hooking up with a, a criminal boxer. James Marsden, through his acts of recording at the uh, campus there, and also incorporating different elements of the African American community, he in attempt tries to solve racism. He tries to integrate. He wants to make his show integrated. Which, again, speaking to his point, I'm all for it. This is unfortunately where we have the Michelle Pfeiffer character being horribly, horribly racist and trying to shut that down. But I think that, you know, everybody here is a 60s person, right? And this, this movie is set in the 60s, so everybody's in the 60s. And there are some people that may be ahead of the curve, but not necessarily because they're thinking it through, right? Uh, Tracy's all about, she says, I wish every day was Negro Day. But to her, it's just because she likes how they dance. She hasn't she hasn't really put a lot of thought in the social political aspect of it, right? Marsden, like I said, yeah, he wants to to integrate, but to me, I think it's just because it's good television. Even like further down the line in in the movie, he tells Michelle Pfeiffer, "This is where things are going, so we might as well go," right? So uh, it, nobody demonizes him though for being either too naive about it or or just too opportunistic about it. Michelle Pfeiffer, she's just a woman over time, a successful woman over time, and the movie demonizes her for it. So I think I'm not saying it's okay to be racist, but I think it's understandable for a woman <laughs> to be racist in the 60s in her position. And 
it's not like anybody's actually like sitting down with her and having a nice talk. Everybody's just very antagonistic towards her. So that's fair. I, I don't think she's she's a true villain here, and, and but yet the movie paints her out to be. She's horribly racist, but yes. <laughs> she's horribly racist, but she's a product of of the of the of the times, and the movie doesn't acknowledge that. We get a musical number set to the new girl in town. We do get a clip here of Christopher Walken, uh, Wilbur. Expose, he's basically overexposing his daughter. He's using her face on every piece of merchandise he can get his hands on to sell for money. Now, that, uh, that, is, that is reprehensible. I mean, as soon as his daughter gets a little bit of popularity, he starts just exploiting her, her likeness. All for naught, though, because we do get Jerry fucking Stiller in the next scene. Jerry Stiller reprising his... Uh, his role from the first hairspray calls to arrange an uh, an agreement with um, Tracy Turnblatt in terms of plus size dresses. Here, uh, your thoughts on Jerry Stiller, Julio? He doesn't even sing. Why would you cast George Constance's dad if you're not going to have him neither sing or get angry? This could have been like anybody. It could be just some random dude running the the store. But it's just it's stunt casting of the worst kind. It's distracting. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, then either cast somebody that would bring something to the role just physically, which Jerry Stiller doesn't do here because Jerry Stiller's sick. It's not like oh I'm I'm physical. You know you just see me and it's funny. You know cast like Andrew the Giant or something, and then it would be like oh that's that stunt casting kind of makes sense. But if it's just, he just shows up to deliver dialogue that anybody else could have done. And then he's gone. The, I'll tell you the one thing that I like, and it's not Jerry, uh, uh, I was going to say Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> Jerry Stiller. It's uh, the fact that everybody in his, in his store is black. He might be the most progressive person in this movie. But again, the movie's not interested in focusing on him. Far more concerning is the narrative about John Travolta where... Uh, his character, which is Edna Turnblatt, is this very frightening hermit that hasn't left the house in over a decade, almost two decades. It's completely ignored, and she's just kind of pressured to leave. But that that narrative is very concerning and very uh, disturbing that she hasn't been able to muster up the courage to leave the house in over ten years. Yeah, but nobody really takes it seriously. I mean, Tracy grabs her by the hand and says, Mom, welcome to the 60s, and then just shoves her out <laughs> into the the Baltimore of the flashers and the rats and racial strife that's uh it, it's all and Eddie uh Jerry Stiller just gets her equipped in all sorts of lingerie <laughs> that's right because she becomes uh, Tracy's agent completely unqualified but it doesn't matter back at school Link and Tracy are starting to kind of hit it off they link up. Uh, Link is intentionally sent to detention to spend more time with Tracy. As soon as he gets there, though, we realize how just impalpably white Zac Efron is. He doesn't really get the whole rigmarole of it all. He doesn't get the dancing, and that's because he's white. He doesn't have soul. That's how it goes. Well, yeah, it's probably the one true honest moment in the movie. The one aspect of the movie is how uncomfortable Zac Efron is around black people. He he has all these black kids being really cool. And first he tries to be as cool as them, fails. And then they say, hey, come hang out with us back home. And he's like, is it safe? <laughs> and then th- there's a whole musical well, number where everybody's into it except for Zac Efron, who's just kind of hanging back and looking really uncomfortable. The, there's a part of the movie where it tries to paint the, the narrative question of, are you know are black people better dancers than white people? There, there's a categorically correct answer to that question, it, and I can tell you that yes, they are. It didn't even need to be asked. No, we all knew. <laughs> I think even in the sixties they knew. But they're way more forgiving and tolerant than white people are. So of course they welcome in uh, Tracy and Link, and they try to adopt themselves to dance. You know, they try to adopt the dancing, the culture. Everything that we've mentioned uh, previously, uh, basically, they're trying to welcome them. You know, give them some soul, give them some flavor. Yeah, this is really, I guess, when we get to the meat of what I I have issues with in this movie, and that is that really, if this is the story of how the black community triumph over segregation and all this stuff, it that's it's a story about black people, and yet we're seeing it through white people's eyes. So, 
which is why I think the movie keeps failing at, at, at portraying racism accurately and at condemning the right people. Um, as I was watching, it reminded me, it's like those people that they think they're not racist because they like the movie Black Panther. I mean, it's like, oh, we like how black people dance, so we're on the right side of history here. <laughs> you know, that's it. It's just, I think that a, a true movie, that the a, a brave movie, would have been entirely from the point of view of uh, of the black kids and, and Queen Latifah. But here, instead, you know, they put Cyclops and Travolta and walk in and just overload you with whiteness. The Amanda Bynes show, it's all there. Uh, Travolta storms in to try to cut his daughter off from causing any sort of ruckus and again they're enabling Travolta here the far more horrifying scenario of people not giving her the attention uh, to the proper places that she needs they just offer her a buffet and she throws in the towel that was, that was pretty easy that didn't take long it's just they show her cupcakes and, and then she goes she goes down uh, and then it's just also there's this whole thing because Queen Latifah has a song Right, and it's just basically all, all her her kids, all these black kids, and her performing for Travolta and uh, Tracy and Penny and and Zac Efron. It, it just made me a little uncomfortable to just basically see the white folk sitting back and just being entertained <laughs> by by basically black people performing. It just felt a little icky, considering that it's where the movie is heading. Where it's heading is a repeat of Batman Returns, because we get Michelle Pfeiffer trying to subdue, or, excuse me, entice and lure in Christopher Walken once again. Uh, the shoes are on a bit of an opposite foot here, uh, as in Batman Returns. Obviously, Christopher Walken's a bit gross, a bit <laughs> rapey, as we say, and Michelle Pfeiffer's a bit innocent in that. Here, uh in one of the more daring parts of the film, they switch the narrative. Michelle Pfeiffer is there trying to seduce Christopher Walken. It, she, I mean, she tries. I, I don't think that it ever gets too far. It, 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 it's one of the weakest. I completely buy this as a real scenario also in the sense of you're not really going to seduce Christopher Walken. Right, He'll be there if he wants to be there. <laughs> He's already there, and that's probably as far as you're going to get. He's he's interested in playing with the with the toys at the joke store, but not really interested in playing with with Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, but this leads to one of the biggest plot developments I, I thought in the movie, which is that after establishing through several minutes and even a whole song actually that Michelle Pfeiffer just can't get Christopher Walken to to be interested in having sex with her at all, yet somehow Travolta walks in on them. And one, Travolta buys that that Michelle Pfeiffer is actually about to have sex with him, which it looks super fake. Uh Two, Christopher Walken can't find the words to explain what's going on at all. (laughs) (laughs) And then three, Michelle Pfeiffer gets away with it, even though she's a terrible actress in that moment where she's just like, oh, no, please, we can't do this. And then walks away. It's. Oh, no, your wife. (laughs) Yeah. it's just it's just so contrived, and I don't know. I think that if you're when you're doing when you're making a movie that deals with such serious issues as racism, you you have to be top notch on every moment. You can't just half ass it uh, in certain parts of the plot. Agreed. For this, Travolta leaves walking temporarily, and uh, Link leaves Tracy. The reason for this, obviously, Travolta leaves Christopher Walken due to his infidelity or perceived infidelity. Link leaves Tracy because of her ties to the African-American community. He is a dirty white person that realizes he can't have any ties to that. It's a very gross reason to leave somebody. Yes, but but the movie doesn't really do much. Uh, Like, very quickly, they pivot from him being like, hey, I don't really want to hang out with black people, to him accidentally saying something that offends her because she thinks that he's talking about her weight. Right? He says something right. like, this is too big for me, or something. And then she takes offense. It's it's almost as dumb as the as the fight between Travolta and Christopher Walken, only, you know, on, on a teenage level. But then... That's completely unfounded. It's just... That's not really what's happening. Yeah, Calm it's down. like Tracy. He he likes you. He was he was all about you from the moment that he saw you dancing. He risked his career for you. Yeah, he just doesn't like black people as much as you do. We do get a 
Christopher Walken Travolta dance and song number where they weave in and out of clotheslines and shadows and mists. <laughs> if you've never seen Christopher Walken in a dance number, it's certainly something special. I mean, it's, uh, and I know I've, I've, I've said this before uh, in other episodes, there are some things that you just can't fuck up, right? So the death of Gwen Stacy uh, in Spider-Man, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 2 is a terrible movie, but even that, you, know, you just can't ruin it. It's just, it's just too good. Dance number involving Christopher Walken, you can't ruin that. Even as out of it as Walken is in this movie, he still manages to just kind of like charm you through through this thing. But that said, what I was thinking when I saw that that dance number was, okay, so you've made up your mind to cast Travolta in this role. Why would you handicap him with a fat suit? Because Walken is limber and he's he's on it, but Travolta is just clunky, and we know that he can dance because we've seen him. I mean, we saw him in Pulp Fiction just a couple of weeks ago. Him being in this movie is its the gimmick the movie's based upon, but they do very little with it. Right, because what else can they do? I mean, the fat suit technology has only come this far. So other than just CGIing uh, an entire body that's more flexible than what he can physically do here, they, they, were, they knew going in that they were going to be very limited with how much choreography they could put on him. So Tracy arranges a black power march because, again, you know, we have to have the white character be the savior in this film. So what she does is convinces Queen Latifah to do a black power march, which, given the circumstances of the movie and, you know, the uh, disclusion of people of color, it's definitely the right right way to go, but the approach to it is definitely problematic in that, you know, this little white girl has to be the voice of reason. It's like when uh, Marty McFly invents jazz or uh, rock and roll in uh, Back to the Future. Just <laughs> Almost identical. Pretty much. Minus the time travel. Biggest difference being here that uh, Tracy gets away with assaulting a police officer. And typically, that it doesn't work the same way. Oh, no. Um, I think that anybody living in the United States in the past few years, uh, they can just point at any headlines and... And then, of course, Amanda Bynes helps harbor a fugitive. She takes uh, Tracy into hiding uh, and just allows her to get away from law enforcement. I mean, to her credit, John Travolta's character, Edna, hides her daughter after this uh, assault on a police officer. But the whole thing is not a good situation. Yeah, well, you know, the 60s were a complicated time. And if anything, I think that this movie paints them, again, a little too too lighthearted it's really as far as we can tell there's not a single casualty in that march even after the cops show up right like the worst thing that happens is that tracy hits that cop with with a sign and then she runs away and then that's it later when you see travolta at home travolta doesn't have any bruises it doesn't have it's, it's almost like he just came back from from shopping not from from a march that turned violent he came back from the set of greece pretty much so then we launch into literally the fir- the last act of the film, which is uh, Miss Teenage Hairspray. It's a musical number that goes on for nearly 40 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's almost... And I was thinking about it while I was taking my notes for this. What other musicals have we done? We, we did, uh, did Rent. Um, Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors. Um, a Chorus Line. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, but still, the last forty minutes of the movie is not occupied by one singular musical number. Right. Those those movies, for all their flaws, they knew when to stop. Well, this one doesn't know when to stop, and we don't know when to stop the beat. We can't <laughs> stop the beat. This is all the act of Velma, like we mentioned in the beginning. She wants to sabotage all of this. Her main interest is making Britney Snow. Uh, the Amber Von Tussle character, the main focus of the Corny Collins show. So every year she's made a, an effort to sabotage these uh, votes so that her daughter wins. This time she can't do so much. Well, yeah, it's uh, there's like a really convoluted plan to let Tracy into the studio uh, because, right, she can't go in. She's she's being hunted by the police. Uh, so then there's it, dude. I don't even know how to explain it. They. They have uh, Christopher Walken in drag pretending to be her to distract the cops, right? <laughs> I don't know how they buy that for a second. It's just Christopher Walken in a fucking little Debbie wig. Right. But it's pointless because 
he distract. I mean, they go up to him and then he's like, "Haha, it's not. It's me. It's Christopher Walken." And then, <laughs> and then, it's, and then, it's me. You can put your clothes in me. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go and then uh, they grab. They lock themselves out. I think right. They were they were locked out. So they uh-huh. grab a they grab a, a big hairspray. Well, no, it's all part of the plan. The people inside, uh, as soon as like the first sequence is initiated, they make sure that all the doors, they put chairs in the doors to lock them. Right, but Tracy's still not inside. They just think Correct. that she's inside. So in order to break in, the cops grab uh, a big giant tube of hairspray that's part of the set, right? And then they use that tube to break door open, not realizing because- that Tracy's inside that tube. Exactly, because it's all worth it for Michelle Fiverr to say, oh, God, you let her in. <laughs> right. But while they're doing this, uh, I think it's Penny, Amanda Vines, opens the, the back door and lets Christopher Walken in, which to me seems like a much easier way of getting into the studio <laughs> than hiding inside a hollow tube and letting the cops grab you and, and you know, ram you against the, the door. It, the entire thing seemed... Uh, just way too complicated for something that's as easy as just go through the back door. I really wish I knew what my notes meant at this point because I have an all caps Marsden is a national treasure. (laughs) Is it because he's singing about hairspray? He's literally singing about hairspray at some point. James Marsden is incredible in this movie. We may and will get to that later, but that's (laughs) not what we're talking about at the time. But yes, the it's literally a 25 minute musical segment there that you can't stop the beat. Uh, yeah, but but the other thing that happens, I mean, obviously, the main thing that happens is that Britney Snow doesn't win. Instead, uh, Tracy shows up, dances, then Link dances with her, and then... Yeah, Zac Efron solves racism right. here in this last scene. It, it was as easy as inviting a cute little black girl onto the stage and dan- to dance with him. And then America sees the light and then they vote they call the the station in just a massive outpouring uh, of votes for this little girl if she's good enough for Zac Efron she's good enough for me it's it's just precursor to American Idol I guess and then <laughs> and then she wins uh, this little girl that really we didn't have any investment in it, it's like she's had almost as much screen time as Allison Janney like I don't really, I don't really know her. I I just saw her in the background. So when she wins, I'm like, okay, I I, I guess it's good because at least she wasn't in Juno, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's everybody. James Marsden says it's okay, so I guess it's it's all cool. And then that's fair. If James Marsden says it's okay, then you're good to go. Uh, and then Amanda Bynes, her arc is basically once you go black, you never go back. She just makes out with a uh, with the main black kid seaweed with seaweed the black the darker the berry the sweeter the juice <laughs> yes that's that's pretty suggestive yes but again seaweed is fantastic in this and amanda Bynes' uh absolute admiration for him i think is one of the high points of this film uh but yeah basically uh everybody gets their comeuppance travolta gets uh michelle pfeiffer on camera uh basically admitting confessing her plan like a bond villain and uh and then america was healed forever by travolta's dancing uh, yeah okay then travolta goes and, and dances and it's just kind of once again going back to the limitations of black suit it's it's like his boobs and his butt are just like made of just solid stone there's no jiggling and it just it's kind of weird you know, everybody else, they look like human dancers, and he just looks like like a robot or something. That was four hours of makeup every day, kind sir. <laughs> but yeah, within the final act of the movie, Zac Efron solves racism, and John Travolta teaches us how to dance. So, I mean, uh, it, we all win. Yeah, and it's just, so, it's just so condescending, I think, that this whole thing where white people are just constantly the saviors in, the, in this third act. Because then James Marsden, he invites Queen Latifah onto the stage, right? So Efren uh-huh. invites a little girl, uh, uh, 
Mars then invites Queen Latifah, and then of course Amanda Bynes kisses uh, seaweed. It's all like these white figures bestowing uh, these gifts on on the black people. I wanted just handing them yeah, off. Yeah, I wanted the the black characters to just take the stage. You know, they just march for an entire day, give them that moment. Don't have them on the sidelines waiting for white people to give him permission to come on <laughs> and, and dance and, and take their places. So, Because in this day and age, you can't wait for that. It may never come, <laughs> unfortunately. Hey, MAGA. Oh, good God. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> so, in the end, our main character, Tracy, has succeeded in that her uh, the movie closes with her and Zac Efron having an embracing kiss. Uh, she gets made up far more superior to anyone in the entire film. Dude, Nikki Blonsky in that final shot looks fantastic. And and Efren just he's all over her. I, I was start, I oh, was starting yeah. to squirm. As someone he couldn't be he couldn't even entertain the thought of talking to her halfway through the movie, but now, you know, he's absolutely attracted to her just because it's the right thing to do, <laughs> or so he believes. Our our love will cure racism. Our love will bring us together. Yeah. Well, I, I am ready for real talk, Alex Mattis. All right, let's move it along. I didn't know if it was going to work or not. And when it all got done, I put a nightgown on. And I just smiled, this big, cheesy smile. I became Edna. She just suddenly lived. I was just amazed at how real he looks he has hips and a butt you know what i mean and beautiful legs i'm like dang i need to get me some of those once we started shooting i never saw john again i only saw edna and he's moving and it was just a joy to see john travolta dancing again john had to undergo four hours of makeup a day and was buried beneath all that rubber and then do hours of dancing if you're dancing like Edna, you can forget all the masculine things. Legs can kick and heads can go back. It's just a state of mind. He made Edna the most wonderful mom for Tracy. She's very sweet. The word that's used for this Edna most often is lovable. Wilbur! All right, real talk for Hairspray. Fucking A, man. Most money John Waters ever made for something he did. I'm always fucking about John Waters getting some fucking cash. So that is absolutely fucking fantastic. Um, uh, I haven't yeah. seen the original Hairspray. I'm guessing you have? I have not, but I love John Waters. So fucking if he makes more money for something. Uh, Adam Shankman was the director of the 2007 uh, remake. Let's see here. I know it made like a fucking stupid amount of money at the box office. Budget of $75 million, which is kind of impressive considering the uh, talent involved. Box office of $203 million, so yeah, <laughs> definitely made its run back. Uh, James Marsden is the beacon of light and hope in this film. I was going to ask you, like, how who was the MVP for you? Because as I was watching the movie, it kept changing. I, I think everybody's so good. Oh, no, uh, it's, a, it's a fucking absolutely fantastic movie. But James Marsden, man... What was the, I did write down he had a couple lines that fucking killed me um, uh, when the one cast member has to go away because she's pregnant and he says hopeful to sign a, just as good of a dancer but maybe not so freewheeling <laughs> and then also when um, uh, Brittany Snow says you have to select a person not a mountain <laughs> he said always a charmer Amber and then like <laughs> Alberto to her side James Marsden is one of those guys that you and I could deliver the same line 1,000 times and it wouldn't be nearly as funny as when he does it. He just has that talent. Yeah, Mars, uh, he, he was the highlight of this for me. I, I, I think he's great and, and he would be maybe my runner-up because I think eventually when the chips are down, I'm going to go with Britney Snow. I think Britney Snow, I mean, I love Britney Snow just in general and I think she's kind of underrated because I guess... It feels like her career never took off the way that it should have. Um, but I, one thing that I, I've just learned I've, to recognize is that she can take a punch. She she can take abuse on screen. I don't know if you've noticed that. It, uh, but here, like she gets manhandled a lot, and she's always funny. There's a part even towards the end where where I think even uh, uh, Marston like hits her in the face. Uh, 
by accident. Like when he's he presenting, goes to lean back like, and just like kind of backhands her. Yeah. Right. And her her facial expressions are just on the money. Uh, not just when she gets hit, but also just her reactions at at all the stuff that's going on. She has that that character down to a T. And the when Michelle Pfeiffer is doing her song, it just Britney Snow is there as a backup, you know, just to provide like a little just back and forth but it's not her song and yet i think that she steals it so uh who disliked this movie julio uh well we have a few a few green splotches uh cam williams from newsblaze that's weird didn't we do a quote from newsblaze and the positive ones uh they say a safe self-congratulatory fantasy which revisits the civil rights era not for a valuable history lesson but for an escapist, syrupy sweet, sing-along trip down memory lane to an unrecognizable Hollywood utopia. Uh, then Kevin N. LaForest from Montreal Film Journal says, mostly flat, 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 but Amanda Bynes is Amanda Fine. Oh, what? wow. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Uh, Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian says, hairspray looks like it's sending up the straight heterosexual world but it also resembles a big, brightly colored closet, which declines to reveal its contents. What? And then Brian Orndorff uh, says, Upon further inspection, not only can I stop the beat, but I would like to turn this stopping of beats into a national movement. Do yourself a favor and just revisit the original Waters film. Your senses will thank you in the morning. Matthew Sorrento from Bright Lights Film Journal says... Even if the new hairspray seems a welcome return to camp for Travolta, his mock seriousness is as frozen as ever. And then finally, Stephen Himes from Film Snobs says, Like your high school's production of Grease, a musical about sex with a chastity belt strapped to its waist. All these angry, joyless people. What's wrong with them, Alex Mattis? And none of them ever once mentioned the fact that we got Catwoman and the mayor of Gotham on screen again at the same time. Or uh, uh, Vincent Vega and Christopher Walken finally sharing a tender kiss. So Travolta would get your MVP of the film? No, 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 no. Uh, No, Britney Snow. Uh, What I was going to say is Travolta, I mean, you know, we're going to talk about the Travolta factor just because it's the summer of Travolta. I... What do you do? You feel like he transcends the gimmick, because you know it's the big gimmick of oh. Oh no, he he is absolutely hemming up the gimmick. (laughs) But do you think it works? It it works. Uh, He embraces it and takes it full board. But it's not like a, it's not like a Jeffrey Tambor and transparent type of thing where it's like okay, this person's clearly going for something. It's clearly part of the gimmick of the film. Right, he's he, you're supposed not to, to take anything away from his performance. Right, but you're supposed to basically recognize John Travolta. It's not like he's meant to disappear into that fat suit and make you believe that he's a woman. Exactly. Uh, I I think he does fine. Uh, I think he's overshadowed by everybody else around him being just so charismatic. Um, also, the fact that he's playing a woman, I think, doesn't allow him to sing very well. I, yeah. They definitely overstack the actors in this film. I'll say that for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean his his dance number with with Christopher Walken is really sweet, and I really the one moment of true emotion that I bought from him was when uh, uh, him and Tracy are having ice cream or something, and Michelle Pfeiffer and Britney Snow show up, and they're really catty to them, and and they say something really mean, and then Travolta's face as if you know you can see that his feelings are hurt. Um, I bought it, even with all the prosthetics. So that's good. This is- I thought it was really cool to have Christopher Walken and Michelle Pfeiffer on the same screen at the same time. Uh, all that being filed to the side. Yeah, there's clearly just a very overwhelming amount of racism in this movie. That's kind of a bitter pill to swallow. <laughs> well, but now that we're in real talk, I mean, yes, she's evil. <laughs> she is. Yes. <laughs> there's there's no redeeming qualities to her, and I think that's great. Her song is just, you know, as good as any Disney villain song. It's great. That's true. Uh, I Nikki Blonsky. I mean, I've never seen her in anything again, but I thought that she was fantastic. Uh, yeah, she's excellent in this movie. She's a very, 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 very pretty girl. 
at the same time, to me, at least with her facial reactions and things like that, you could tell she's more of a stage presence than an acting, like a live action movie type thing. Right, like if she was uh, on actual Broadway doing that. Yes. Yeah. Which in most cases is, is harder to do than actual acting. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was really... I remember when I watched this in theaters and just being blown away. I was like, who? I do too. It was fucking 11 years ago. <laughs> uh, I was just now because, you know, unlike all our other episodes, we actually watched this separately. And I was, I watched it with, with Kelly, my fiance, and she saw it in theaters as well. And she was singing along with the songs and she was like, does this bother you? I was like, no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> And then she's like, you have to say na- uh, nasty things about the movie now, right? And I was like, well, I mean, you know, we have to be negative. but it's, it's it, Facetiously. Right, in a fun way. But yeah, dude, the closing uh, montage of the movie, the closing sequence of the movie is like fucking 40 minutes long with the same song, but it's so fucking good. It's just so much fun. I mean, it just goes through like a lot of beats. Every character gets their, their, their moment. Uh, the only person that I think got screwed here was Allison Janney. She really... She doesn't get anything. I mean, she gets that moment where she calls uh, Amanda Bynes the devil child. That might be the only laugh that she gets. She was speaking for America with that. <laughs> Is it? No, I understand what you mean. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that Amanda Bynes really has kind of, I guess, retired from acting or something. I, I liked her in UCA. Yeah. I think she's great, too, uh, in this one. She is very good. She's very underrated, underutilized type of thing. Yeah. Uh do you have a favorite musical number? The nicest kids in town. Like the first time that you see the, the show, right? Isn't that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's so good, dude. Is that is that when they introduce themselves when they go like Maureen, Doreen, and I'm Link? Incredibly, incredibly odd. My sister texted me a link to that opening musical track today. Uh, when I was prepping my notes for the podcast, and I said, what the fuck? And she was like, oh, I don't know. I've had that song stuck in my head all week. And I said, you know we're doing that podcast? <laughs> and she said, no. <laughs> so that was a very weird, uh, clairvoyant moment. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've, well, you know, I watched it last night, so I've had the soundtrack stuck in my head since then. It's. It... Oh, I can imagine, yeah. I'm definitely going to be cranking that shit tomorrow. Yeah, but um, for this bonus episode uh, with uh, Hairspray, we have Phenomenon coming up shortly. We're, Julio and I are recording this on a Wednesday night, uh, excuse me, very early Thursday morning. <laughs> we'll be recording Phenomenon on uh, Monday morning. Memorial Day. Yeah. Uh, as far as plugs go and just general stories of what I'm doing, where I'm at, I have a lot of things I want to save for a more... <laughs> Uh, alert recording of the podcast. Yeah, there's definitely been some things I've experienced I definitely want to uh, relay in a fully cognizant... Where are you again? Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls. It's like... Yeah. No man's land. I can't explain to you (laughs) the lack of things going on here. Uh, But I do have a particular... Um, amount of stories that I do want to relay in complete alertness and uh, want to contribute to the overall message of the podcast. All right. <laughs> um, one of which will be a plug on the future episode where I talk about uh, the Charlie's Angels films by McGee because uh-huh. I did get to rewatch Charlie's Angels 2 in my hotel room, and that movie is just absolutely fantastic. And I've never uh, seen it. I forgot that. Really? Yeah, I've seen the first one. I, I forgot never... that uh, it was Justin Thoreau's name, the, the guy who was uh, Jennifer Aniston's boyfriend. Yes. He's, he's like in the, it? He's the bad guy. He's like one of the main bad guys in it. And, yeah. Sign me up. I mean, well, you, all you have to say is Magee, and then I'm there. <laughs> I Unfortunately, I know this about you, Julio. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll catch up uh, for Phenomenon as far as my travels and the multiple stories I have about being here. All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts about uh, about Hairspray? Uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. It deserves every bit of its 91%. I didn't catch if it won any awards. 
but what they were kind of able to take and manipulate into a modern film, I think, is absolutely fantastic. It's really sad that it's only been uh, 11 years since that's been released, and it's somehow more prevalent to today's society than it was then. That's that's the Dude, biggest bummer. No shit. I When they started marching, <laughs> which to me had always been the one bit of the movie where it kind of drags, right? The, the, the introductions are like really really awesome like they go pretty quickly it's it, it's a lot of fun and then they get to that down point where they're hanging out with queen latifah and they they march and the movie slows it's down it's never a down point when you're hanging out with queen latifah <laughs> we, relative to everything else that's been happening i know right? yeah i know what you're saying but but now i was watching and it just it's the most i mean i guess it's always been the most poignant part of the movie but now it just resonates even harder because it's like you have people marching everywhere in the united yeah. states these days and uh, it was just, dude. And I, I really, I wonder what it's like to watch this movie if you're black, you know, and just how that, because it really is a very white movie about racism. It has its heart in the right in the right place, and I think that what it says is, you know, very hopeful and optimistic. But it's one uh, of those things that it's a movie that tries to be fair to people of color, but at the same time, it makes no. Uh, qualms about saying at the same time we want to be sympathetic to you but we have no idea what the fuck you guys go through <laughs> we know you're good dancers that's that we know for sure that's that's the thing about the movie it's true it's like you have so many things that are great that we steal from you guys but we still want to treat you like lesser than it's fucking horrible <laughs> it's disgusting and it's yeah it's one of those things that when i watch something like this and realize that that still exists today the fact that it existed fucking 60 years ago, I guess it would be. That's gross enough as it is. But the fact that things like this are still prevalent to society today are disgusting. Yep. I I agree. Yeah, that that's us getting extraordinarily real right there. But <laughs> Extra real talk. Extra real talk. But yeah, Just, it is one of those things. It's, the fact that this is more applicable now, 10 years later, than it was then is speaks to a very scary condition of our society. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is, uh, I guess, kind of like to close it off. Uh, did you hear about the the new Watchmen series at HBO? The what, the what series? Watchmen. Uh, As in Rorschach and... Yeah, Idol? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Damon Lindelof, you know, from Lost, Prometheus, uh, The Leftovers... He's, uh-huh. I think he's he's doing the pilot, and then they'll probably order it to series. I can't imagine they wouldn't. But there's like, look up the his letter online where he talks about the project. It's really awesome. But he mentions about how he talks about how the original Watchmen was a product of its time, you know, and it's the '80s, and it's talking about what was going on in the '80s. And when they're doing Watchmen now, he wants it to be a product of the time now. So he's talking about we're not going to talk about nixon and vietnam or whatever you know we're going to talk about trump and north korea and all this other stuff yikes so, i know it's i mean i like him as a as a writer as a showrunner i and just it'll be so different from the movie which i know i like more than you do but <laughs> hey it's not it's not bad it's just it is what it is type of thing it is Zack snyder's masterpiece uh, the opening credits of that movie are Zack Snyder's masterpiece. <laughs> All right, so we're going to conclude this. This is going to wrap it up for Hairspray, our bonus episode. Our next one is Phenomenon. I'll be seeing you four days from now? Uh, yes, that is correct. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, yeah. Uh, and uh, it will be a gray area episode phenomenon because it's exactly a 50 percent and it's episode 60 so uh, i think we need to figure out who's going to be defending it and who's going to be uh attacking it what Why do we, don't we do? both just create narratives and then we can kind of take it from there <laughs> all right so that will do it for this bonus episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong we'll catch you here shortly to continue the summer of travolta oh and uh Thank you to the Festive Years for the opening and closing songs. 
And thank you for, to Hans Ruth Geezer, who, by the way, he told me, he sent me a message saying, did you know, uh, just so you know, I do make logos for other people. So you don't have to say that. <laughs> that I did your logo, but I might not do it. He corrected else's. you? Yeah. He's like, no, I actually do logos for other people and comics as well. So just let them know that they can contact me. So I'll put his contact information on the show notes. Um, Outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. So uh, for listeners, I apologize for being so tired and disoriented. Julio has helped keep this entire fucking episode together. So thank to Julio very much. Uh, this is I'm our holding a first... carrot in front of the webcam. Yeah, exactly. This is our first episode uh, recording remotely, and for the most part, I think it's gone pretty well. We we had a bit of struggle in connecting, but we did pretty good. Uh, we didn't have any massive delays or anything like that. We've been recording just fine. You couldn't just... tell that I'm not wearing any pants, so I think it would... no, exactly. Uh, dude, I'm shoot naked from about the tits down. <laughs> I've just got a collar on right now. I'm wearing a collar. That's all you're seeing. So we may need to do it like this from moving forward. <laughs> but oh, yeah. uh, Julio and Austin, myself and Wichita Falls. Julio, I thank you for joining me. Uh, you're welcome, Alex. I got to report to the work in about six hours, so I'm going to go ahead and let you go, buddy. All right. Uh, but uh, thank you for joining us again here on The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We're going to catch you next time for Phenomenon. Thank you.